Hello, welcome to the Friday, June 28th, 2019 edition of the Sands and its Storms and its Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich, and today I'm recording from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. We have yet another pricker bot making the rounds. Pricker bot usually refers to malware that's trying to actually disable IoT devices. The way they often do this is by just using the DD utility that's used to dump disk images and overriding various partitions on the device. Now, in many cases in Internet of Things devices, these partitions are actually not writable. So even if this particular bot runs as root, it typically doesn't do as much damage as it appears to do. In many cases, a simple reboot of the device will restore them to their prior state. Every couple of years or so, uh, these kind of breaker bots make the news again. So this is yet another iteration of this basic idea. No new vulnerability involved here. It's still mostly going after simple usernames and passwords via Telnet or SSH. Of course, uh, given that uh, the entire of Mirai family of malware has been adding more exploits like against popular web applications and such means that uh, these exploits will likely migrate to these pricker bots as well. And earlier yesterday in our Slack channel, Bruce pointed to a nice write-up by Cyber Reason about an attack that they have been following that compromised a number of telecommunication providers. I think what's sort of interesting about this attack is that when we talk about supply chain attacks, these last couple of years, it often was very focused on hardware and software vendors, but suppliers of services are certainly part of this larger threat. And of course, unlike with software and hardware where you can actually obtain a copy and run your own tests, that's really difficult to do with service providers like cloud providers providers or telecommunication service providers. The initial attack vector in this case was a web server. It doesn't really state here whether it was a particular web application they were after, but it does state that one of the early indicators was a web shell found on IIS servers. The attacker then compromised the network further, obtained credentials from the affected network, and their end goal apparently was the collection of call record data. So they didn't appear to actually eavesdrop on calls, but rather just uh, basically get the metadata, who's connecting to whom, but also location data from mobile networks. And also somewhat a hallmark of these more sophisticated attacks, uh, the threat actor here used more or less commodity tools, but modified them in order to make them more stealthy and make them work for this particular compromise. Of course, the real question here is how can you protect yourself from this kind of compromise of your telecom provider? Well, uh, the answer here is really there isn't much you can do. The standard solution, of course, is to encrypt all your traffic. And I think that highlights why you should uh, do this. But remember, in this case, they weren't actually necessarily going after the content of the calls. They were going after location data and the like. And that would not necessarily get affected by encryption. With a VPN, you may be able to obf obscure some of this data. 
but again the VPN endpoint if that's your phone they would still be able to locate that and then we got a couple of stories regarding online advertisements and some of the bad side effects. First one comes from Malwarebytes, and Malwarebytes is talking about the Green Flash Sundown exploit kit that they have been seen in malicious advertisements. In particular, the publisher OnlineVideoConverter.com was affected by this. This is a very popular site that will allow you to convert YouTube videos to mp4s so if you visited that website then you may have been exposed to this exploit kit this is of course one of the big justifications for a lot of people running ad blockers and such that every so often we do have malicious advertisements that are being served by these ad networks and then if you are visiting an otherwise benign or trusted site you are being exposed to malicious content because they happen to include ads from particular ad networks that have been compromised and then a new website, trackthis.link, is trying to illustrate how ad networks are tracking you. And the way they're doing this is by essentially simulating behavior of certain users in your browser. So if you're going to the trackthis.link website, you can choose different personalities. And if you click on the respective link, then the website will open about 100 different tabs in your browser, loading websites that would typically be visited by this particular personality, making advertisers then, of course, believe that you're falling within these groups. Pretty interesting experiment and demo. Yes, 100 tabs is a little bit excessive maybe, so I wouldn't be too surprised if your browser is having some issues here with this site. But overall, again, this is sort of a proof of concept experiment in order to just demonstrate how advertisers will change the ads that you're seeing based on your past behavior. Well, and since it's Friday, we do also have an STI student again today. And today I have with me Jeff Parker. Uh, Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your paper. Yes, I'd love to. I'm Jeff Parker. The paper was really about automating a response to fish reporting. And the reason why I did that is as a student at STI and needing to do a graduate research project, I wanted to do something that would be meaningful and useful to the IT security industry as a whole. And I'd noticed, particularly over the last 18 months or so, that the, our, our incident response queues for the incident responders were just growing by leaps and bounds, particularly because of the fish reports. And the problem is everybody was reporting everything, legitimate emails, uh, junk or spam emails, and phishing uh, reports the, for the real attacks, and that was a real problem. So my real research was about trying to find something that would automate a solution to fish reporting a triage system. It sounds like a real worthwhile topic. Uh, now, when I talk to our security awareness uh, people here at Science, one thing they actually point out is that uh, one of the goals of the security awareness is not necessarily to 100% prevent people from clicking on these phishing links. You can't really do that, uh, but to really increase the reporting and you know, with that also speed up the response for those people who actually did click on the links. So uh, in your case, uh, 
did you actually see uh, that a lot of uh, people reported legitimate uh, phishing attempts? Yes, actually, uh, we get a lot of those, which is really good. And I'm in uh, a mid-sized company of about 2,500 users in the uh, energy sector, in oil and gas. Uh, the company makes liquefied natural gas. And we have a number of global offices. So um, we kind of have to cover a lot of different regions. And what we really wanted to do as a company was to create this culture of reporting because, of course, it's very important to know when we're getting fished and when the attacks are coming in, whether it's, you know, BEC, business email compromise uh, or spoofing attack or credential, you know, theft attack or whatever it happens to be. So everything from the new employment orientation right on through to security awareness and training, that's what I do, by the way, I'm in IT security awareness and training. Um, that was critically important to us to set that culture of reporting so that people, honestly, the users would become assets and almost like a, a human sensor network or human firewall. And yes, that, that really worked. We do get a lot of spurious reporting which is what triggered the research because we get way, way, way too much reporting now. We've kind of created an army of happy clickers, but we do get the real ones right along with that. Now, can you describe a little bit the solution that you sort of came up with? Yes, actually, um, when I first started doing my research, I, I actually reached out to the SANS security awareness community and said, hey, guys, what's everybody doing out there for a triage system because we're getting overloaded here? and got some suggestions for good commercial systems that were out there. But as I started to develop the research project and what this was going to be about, there had been no real studies that I'd seen on what are effective triage systems and how they might bridge that, that um, depth and breadth of whether you're a small company or a midsize or a large company. So I wanted to include that. And as well, I wanted to look into, were there any open source solutions out there? And the possibility, actually, of could a company actually create their own triage or response system. And because of that, obviously, I learned a lot more about triage systems than I thought I would and that I certainly knew at the time. But in addition, I learned a lot about what are effective ones, what are good ones for uh, the small and mid-sized and larger enterprise, and, and actually did find an open source one. So it was quite the adventure. I also learned in the course of that that I am nowhere near good enough a programmer to create my own triage system from scratch, but that was kind of outside the scope of the research. Yeah, it's uh, always like an intimidating and probably not the right thing uh, to write something like this uh, from scratch. So that open source system that you found, uh, can you describe that? Yes, yes, I'd love to. It was Stackstorm, actually Stackstorm 2, which is available on GitHub. And it was based on a recommendation that I got, but also on a paper from the SANS reading room from Seth Polly that dates back a couple of years. And he described Stackstorm and implementing it as a triage system so well that there was absolutely no question that was the one I wanted to use as my open source example. And it really is an excellent system. It doesn't have the bells and whistles of a fancy commercial system that, you know, costs a lot of money. Um, but it certainly gets the job done. And it was, uh, it's, it's really good in terms of scale because it will go all the way from the smaller organization right up to certainly 10,000 seats or more. So it's, it's a really good product. Can you describe a little bit the scale of the problem for you? Like you mentioned, uh, I think a couple thousand users. How many of these reports do you get each day? Uh, how many of them are sort of actionable? And uh, uh, how much yeah. of the work is sort of being taken over now by this system? 
Yes, uh, I would. I'd be happy to. So we're getting about 1.6, 1.7 million messages a month, about 91 to 93 percent. So we'll call it 92 percent on average um, is spam or threat or attack of some kind as in a phishing attack. So we're getting an average of about 300,000 a month that have to be dealt with that our systems do not identify and block. So of that, we went from probably getting for our incident response team maybe five to 10 reports a day to on average, we're getting probably up to about 100 to 150 reports a day at this point. And from that, it's uh, and sometimes more, but from that, we're getting uh, probably 70 or 80 percent are spurious and we're getting about maybe 20 to 30 percent that are legitimate phishing attacks. So we are getting them for the most part. But um, the problem, of course, is separating the wheat from the chaff and knowing which one is which, because when they sit down in our queue, we don't know what's what. We just have to open the next ticket and see what it is. And do you think the, that uh, some of these phishing attempts are actually targeted or is it more your, sort of I would say, a run-of-the-mill kind of you know, um, outlook for 65 or so phishing? No, 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 no. These are absolutely spear phishing attempts. There's no question about it. I mean, we're, we get as much BEC or, or, you know, domain spoofing as everybody else. We get, uh, alias spoofing. We, we get everything and we block, like I said, most of it. And we use a very robust system ourselves, um, which is triaging a lot of it. But, um, prior to that, I mean, it was really getting to be a problem for, I mean, for our company, it's only two users, two people that are in the incident response team responsible for, that queue and if you add me because i i do what i can when i can you know it's two and a half but i mean it it was getting to be ridiculous because those people have other jobs to do too plus other tickets in the response queue not just fishing and you know it, it just becomes almost impossible and i think that's the trend right now we taught everybody to report the problem is what are we going to do with all those reports and that's where a triage system really helps uh, tremendously because the resulting tickets that end up in the incident response queue are for real. And how long does it take on average? Do you have an idea of the deal with one of those tickets that actually a person has to look at? That's a great question. If it's a spam or junk or spurious one or legitimate, it's really no more than a few minutes. Um, if it's a potential phishing attack to identify, it can be anywhere from, say, five to ten minutes to even upwards of 30 minutes to deal with it just because you've got to research and analyze and, you know, maybe check virus total or check back in the database from the triage system, see where it came in originally, see if it was a false flag report or, or you know, what, what was the problem with it. And um, those are the troublesome ones. And we need the time to do those because, like I said, sometimes they're very quick and easy uh, to triage or to, to deal with and analyze, but other times they really take time. Yeah, so um, what's next kind of for you? Um, how far are you with your SDI program at this point? And are you still expanding on what you learned here? Actually, I was I was just telling my faculty research advisor the other day, I'm still waking up every morning, even though the research project is done, thinking up new ideas. So I think it's going to take a while to wind down. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's in my blood now. But um the long and the short of it is I made some recommendations for, you know, looking forward to the future or possible inclusion or uses of AI or machine learning. The most important thing to me is that, you know, people really need to know that there are triage systems. They are affordable or even without charge if you can do the open source 
and they make a very effective tool. So I'd like to spread the word a little bit about that, particularly in the SAN security community. And we have the summit coming up soon in August, so I'm hoping to at least share it with my colleagues there, if, if not more, and maybe get some more articles out there in addition to the paper. Um, so all of that is true, and I never really did successfully implement that triage system from scratch. So while I'm not a programmer by career, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to be able to figure out what could be done and what's the best language to use, that kind of thing. But I think that's more of a side project. Yeah. Um, I'm about two, I'm about halfway through the degree, so there might be time. We'll see. <laughs> I think there's another paper or so that can be written. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, thanks uh, for your time. A link uh, to the paper will be included in the show notes. So uh, talk to you again on Monday.